You're in the loop. We're here to discuss the ups, downs, and sideways of the sport of figure skating, and maybe give you plus five GOE along the way. Let's introduce this week's hosts. Hi, I'm Neve, and you might know me as the one on Twitter constantly tweeting about Jason Brown's spirals. You can find me at triple axle with an I. Hi, I'm Carly. I was recently at U.S. Nationals. You may know me from the Nathan and Andrew Torgachev banners, and I'm on Twitter at CyberSwanSP. Hi, I'm Yogita, and at this point, I have the GOE bullets memorized, I believe. You can find me at Liliorum. Yay, welcome to episode 25. Oh my god, has it been, 20, has it been 25 episodes? I know, right? What? Okay. So this week, we're going to start with a brief news update of the figure skating community. So there has been a petition set up in order to rename the Almaty Arena in Almaty, Kazakhstan, which is the arena mostly used for the figure skating events in Kazakhstan in honor of the late Dennis Ten. There's also been two withdrawals from the Paris field at the Four Continents Championships, which are going to be held this weekend, actually. Ekaterina and Alexandrovskaya and Harley Windsor from Australia have withdrawn, and Taeok Ryom and Jushik Kim from North Korea have also withdrawn. So we're sad to see them go. I was especially looking forward to Ryom Kim. Okay, let's start this week's episode, um, which will be on Canadian and U.S. Nationals. Are you guys ready? I'm so ready. I was at U.S. Nationals. (laughs) I've been ready for a week. Well, before we actually get started on talking about what happened at Nationals, I would like to give a short rant on accessibility. Rant number one, throwback to episode one of In The Loop. So... The senior events for U.S. Nationals was streamed via NBC Sports Gold, and then parts of it was then also streamed on NBC Sports Network and NBC, um, which makes it really hard for people who want to watch the earlier skaters but can't because they either can't afford to subscribe to NBC Sports Gold or they're not Americans, so they can't access the service. Um, Also, the tech box is one of the most annoying things in the world. And I hate it. And it's so terrible <laughs> for beginners. Um, for many Americans, the U.S. Nationals is the first opportunity to watch live skating um, since it is prime time in the U.S. Um, however, this tech box doesn't really tell anything and doesn't really teach people about what's going on. And this is, it really only tells you whether an element is under review or not, as they meticulously explain what green, yellow, and red mean. Yeah, okay, so I remember during the Olympics them constantly explaining the green, the yellow, and the red. And now that I'm much more, like, into the sport of figure skating and understand like, how GOE and, like, under-review works, I wish it was so different. I don't see, like, surely the color scheme is obvious enough to the general viewer that they don't need to review to reanalyze it every five minutes everyone tends to have the general idea that red means bad green means good (laughs) Um, and like this is also like not something that's been around u.s nationals for a while if we go back to 2016 u.s nationals they had the descriptive tech box that tells you what the elements were and then they switched to this new one in 2017 and they've kept it they kept it for the olympics too which was absolutely a terrible idea in my mind and this is really annoying for like beginners who don't know what the elements are like they don't know oh they did a qua- they did a triple lutz or they did a triple loop or they did uh, what type of jump they did what levels they get on spins what levels they get in dance like dance means nothing to someone who can't actually see what the levels are literally a good example of that was um me and my roommate were watching in the olympics and uh, all we knew was what a twizzle was. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching figure skating for nearly two years, and that's all I know. <laughs> so that is probably my biggest frustration, especially since like the ISU tech box has improved since last season. They switched to the tech box that we have now in the international level. Previously, all we saw was the score instead of seeing the elements. So props to them taking the Japanese tech box but I don't understand why 
the IC is going forward, but NBC is going backwards. Yeah, honestly, I love the ISU tech box. And I just remember what, like during watching the Olympics, like I would have loved to know what was going on. The online stream at the Olympics did tell you what was going on, which is what we watch, right? Nina? Yeah, well, I was a peasant and I was watching it on my computer, not on an online stream on NBC. <laughs> honestly, the um, online tech box thing for dance was possibly the best thing figure skating has given us the other best thing um is belinda Newman, my favorite commentator who actually taught me ice dance unlike the commentators here who don't really teach you anything yeah i think the best thing about being like live at u.s nationals was i didn't have to hear the commentators i think you Gita, especially me and you i think we probably screamed bless belinda into that chat at least 30 times per hour Uh, She was so great. Like, she actually explained what edges were and, like, what the different levels meant during ice dance at the Olympics, whereas Charlie White and Ben Augusto and Kenneth White obviously had two two sets of commentators, and neither of them actually explained anything about, like, what exactly ice dance was, which I don't think is handy for a beginning audience a beginner audience if i wasn't a figure skating fan i don't think i would have known any of them were actual ice dancers through the commentary of ice dance <laughs> honestly of all the commentators that i listened to this weekend the my favorite commentator was ashley wagner talking about euros yeah i will say i didn't get to hear her commentary but i was interested in it it'd be best to have like previous figure skaters as commentators but even then like you can't always rely on them to explain everything which i hate and the other thing is that like these commentators are giving in to the nbc and usfsa hype machine which obviously you expect national bias and stuff like that but the stuff they were saying about Alyssa Liu and nathan chen it was just went over my mind i was like you're you're hyping them up so much and then when they don't actually we'll get to this later but if they don't continue to deliver at the level that you guys are saying they're at then you're just hyping them up for them to fall it's just hype trains are so bad for the sport and in regards to the nbc gold and how the usfsa streamed their competitions um i'm the only international fan on the episode this episode so probably my perspective is different but I'm an international fan other than streams online there is no literal way for me to watch American nationals and all majority of my favorite skaters are American Trace and Brown <laughs> <laughs> um, and like I would have been perfectly happy paying for a stream if I was giving the ability to pay for a stream but other than juniors and intermediates, which for the most part are streamed on the USFSA fan zone, the global block all streams. So even if I wanted to pay for NBC Gold, I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't see how they expect international fans to keep up with skaters they like if they aren't given streams. US Nationals isn't a small competition for the majority of skating fans, and it's quite concerning when I find it easier to find a stream for Canadian sectionals than it is for U.S. senior nationals. (laughs) U.S. nationals and, like, the USFSA is just so nationalistic. They don't even consider the ability, like, the possibility that there could be international fans wanting to watch. Think of how much money they could have made. Exactly. Like, they could make so much more money if they open up NBC Gold to international people. Like, the USFSA is a big federation. And in some fields, they have, like, lots of good skaters and lots of people who want to watch those skaters. So they could do really well with opening NBC Gold to international buyers, but they just don't. Or even just opening the US Nationals, because at least with the other competitions, we have other options. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, me, I have BBC for Worlds, and then I have British Eurosport. But for U.S. nationals, there only is NBC. This definitely breeds into the the larger topic of how figure skating is accessible at a larger international level and how difficult it is for us to not just stream NBC, but like Canadian nationals was also difficult to stream. It was on TSN, which is a paid for network in Canada. So it was hard to stream the, the last groups because there weren't any streams really available for non-Canadians. Um, and the same can be said for watching Japanese nationals, for watching Russian nationals. It's 
hard to find like legal ways to actually watch them yeah basically with like national competitions it's like you have to consider the fact that there are people outside of your country that are interested in watching although props to skate canada for their daily motion oh true <laughs> nobody uses daily motion but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> we'll use it for group one men's. So this isn't specifically related to nationals per se, but the lack of accessibility is increasingly becoming an issue with the ISU IOC and especially SBS, which is the Korean carrier for figure skating, I think, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Cracking down on uploads, not even just full competitions, which I can semi-understand if someone uploads the entire four hours of the Olympics on YouTube. You maybe want to take that down for copyright, but a five-minute program of a junior skater that is unheard of isn't going to lose you much money and is only going to increase figure, skate, like figure skating watching around the world. Because I don't see how they expect figure skating fans other than the top... Like maybe six men, six ladies, six pairs, six dance teams. How are you supposed to branch out and find new skaters to watch and find new programs and find new federations if it's physically impossible to watch the skaters? Yeah, it's just really halting the growth of the sport. And it's so sad to see like so many people have playlists of different figure skating. Like maybe they're like their favorite figure skating programs or their favorite programs from a specific skater and those playlists are just decimated yeah i had a 300 video playlist of user hanu's career <laughs> and there is five videos left on it oh no, oh, no. <laughs> that's so sad and because when a video is taken down on youtube it just shows video unavailable i don't even know what videos were on it to try refine them oh no i know i haven't checked my playlists yet but like i'm sure they're very sad looking right now <laughs> it's heartbreaking some of the biggest figure skating uh, YouTube channels have been taken down, and I think it's kind of silly that also that SBS has been allowed to claim all these videos, especially since the majority of them aren't even Korean skaters that they're claiming. I can fully understand if SBS takes down a video of SBS commentary or SBS commentary of a Korean figure skater, but I don't see how SBS has the rights to take down a video that was broadcast by BESP. Yeah, funny enough, talking about how like you can understand if SBS would take down an SBS comment like commentated video. I was I was teaching someone about what Cyberswan was the other day, <laughs> and um, the main the best Cyberswan to watch is an SBS commentated video, and it's still up. God damn it, SBS. <laughs> It's lit- it's easier at the moment to find videos of like senior skaters when they were juniors than it is <laughs> when they were seniors. Junior user Hanyu. Yeah, honestly. As we all know, accessibility has always been a big issue plaguing figure skating. And if you want to hear more on it, let me just plug In The Loop episode one, which I was on. <laughs> but no, seriously, it's a good episode. Let's quickly review Canadian Nationals, which actually happened a few weeks ago. And let's start with the men and with our two-time Canadian National Champion, Nam Wen. Yeah, so I don't think anyone expected him to become champion again, and I am pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I was half expecting Stephen Gogolev. We're all like 90% expecting Stephen Gogolev. If you went through my tweets over Canadian Nationals, I literally said... After the short program, here's to our Canadian national champion, Stephen Gogolev. But yeah, so he went clean for the free, at least. I can't remember if he went clean for the short. He was mostly clean. Mm -hmm. But hey, he won. So, doesn't matter. And he's had a pretty good season so far, especially compared to other seasons he's had in the past. But um, last season wasn't the best for him. He didn't make the Olympic team and then didn't qualify for Worlds, and then he was going to have to retire because his parents cut his funding. Um, So he was planning on walking away from the sport and then decided that, nope, he wasn't finished and he was going to come back. And I'm glad that he's having a good season so far this year. He's been a stable part of Team Canada since Worlds in 2014, Junior Worlds. So it would have been sad to see him go so young. Yeah, I'm really happy that he's made the decision to stay this season. And he's actually doing it with two programs that he says that he really loves. And I think he said earlier this season that they're 
favorite programs that he's done so far. And I've seen these programs a lot because <laughs> I, for some reason, watch Canadian sectionals over the summer. So I've seen him, these programs grow and evolve and watch him become a better performer in these programs. So I'm happy that he's had a lot of opportunity to bring out these programs on a national level to help train that performance aspect. And you can really see um, from the very first outing to where he is right now at nationals, how well he's trained these programs and how he's made it. He's become more comfortable with them and able to better perform them. So I hope that he'll be able to continue these momentum going forward. He's He'll be at Four Continents this week, so hopefully he'll place pretty highly there. Yeah, it was just nice to see him get his confidence back, because at Canadian Nationals, I remember they did a lot of fluff on Nam, like, just talking about his journey, and, like, it's just nice to see him succeed, especially since he's been here for so long. And like you said, like, he's only 20. I was I was looking at this IA3 bio, and I was like, I could have sworn you were older than that. <laughs> He's been in the skating world for a while. Yeah, he has. He won the national title in 2015, and at that time, everyone thought that Nam was the next Patrick Chan, but unfortunately, with his growth spurt and everything, like he hasn't really had another season like that season. He was fifth in Worlds, was it 2015 Worlds? He was, yeah. he, and everyone thought that he's going to be the next big thing and that growth spurt really hit him hard. But the thing of thinking someone's going to be the next thing, next big thing kind of ties into what we're going to talk about later with putting pressure on young kids. Yeah, we can start right now with our silver medalist, Steven Gogolev. Yeah, so you've all heard, if you watch Canadian Nationals, you probably heard the words Kid Canada (laughs) because they just kept calling him different nicknames and they kept hailing him as the future of Canadians men's skating just because he can do quads because apparently that's not a thing Canadian men can do anymore. (laughs) So yeah, we'll also touch on this topic with um, Alyssa Liu later on, because it applies to her just as well, if not like possibly a bit more. But I just cannot with Canadian Fed and U.S. Fed placing so much pressure on these young kids. Like He was only 14 at this competition, and Alyssa is only 13. It's not good for the kids. It's not good for the people putting pressure on them. Steven probably felt that pressure so much and not being able to live up to high standards is horrible in sport, especially at a young age. It's really not good for their mental health. We already saw this happen at the Junior Grand Prix Canada where Steven crashed and burned. He came off of a gold medal at his first Junior Grand Prix event and then placed fifth at Junior Grand Prix Canada because of the pressure that Canadian Fed and Canadian media was putting on his shoulders. He did end up going to the Junior Grand Prix final ended up winning, but it still like speaks to like how much pressure they're trying to put on his shoulders. Exactly. He only went, I mean, let's not forget that he only went as an alternate. But yeah, it's just like, you know, as like, as I said, we'll touch on this later, but putting so much pressure on anyone isn't healthy, especially in a mental aspect, but putting so much pressure on a kid is just horrible. And I cannot stand it. So tying in with the hyping up skaters, um, we have Keegan Messing in third. And ever since Patrick Chan um, retired, Keegan's kind of been promoted as the top Canadian, at least senior man. And I don't know what it was like in the actual arena, but just watching it, the Canadian Nationals from a stream, I think there was a fluff piece on Keegan Messing every five minutes. <laughs> there, there, there was a lot of fluff pieces on Keegan. And you know what? I, I will give them that they're... I'll give them why they're choosing Keegan over Nam because I do think Keegan has stronger skating skills um, and he's just very inconsistent. I really don't like his packaging, as I've said before. And honestly, I re- I like Keegan very much as a person. You like watching him like be so happy when Nams went clean right before mm-hmm. he had to go. Like he is such a good competitor and he cares so much about like his competition. I I really like Keegan as a person. I hope he one gets better programs and he finds his consistency somewhere because I do really enjoy like his regular skating skills. I just find it difficult to enjoy the programs he's given us. He's very fast. It's quite terrifying. Literally his jumps scare me. Like I like I'm not like the jump master so I can't really tell you why but his jumps just like 
scare me sometimes. It's it's when he goes, I think it was the triplets. He was literally horizontal. How did I don't know how he landed it. He's <laughs> horizontal. Yeah, his axis on his jumps sometimes go completely out of the way. And when he lands them, it's like pure miracle. But it's really amazing how he falls and immediately bounces back up. That's that's like really what astonishes me every time mm-hmm. Keegan falls. He denies physics, honestly. He is a great entertainer, and I wish his program spoke to that. Uh, well, let's move on to pairs. The Canadian pairs field is... possibly more dead than the American pairs field. To be fair, the American pairs field isn't too bad. There's a lot of teams that are at the same level, so it's interesting when they're fighting for gold and stuff because there's so many teams and it could be any outcome. They just might not be competitive with the top teams worldwide, I guess. Yes, whereas with Canadian pairs, I think Kristen Moore Towers and Michael Marinaro, I really could not name another Canadian pairs team off the top of my head that is of similar level. With the retirement of Duhamel Radford at the end of last season, Canada really doesn't have any other like Paris teams in the makings. So I'm concerned what they're going to be doing um, to enhance that field going forward. So they do have a second young team, Walsh and Michaud, who are still young. They were sixth in Junior World Champs 2017. Um, but other than that, Canadian pairs is... A very sad field to watch. <laughs> yeah, North American pairs is kind of sad. Let me tell you, it's all about Chinese pairs. Let me promote Sway and Han. Well, let's move on to a field that isn't dying in Canada. Ice dance. So yeah, and first we have Caitlin Weaver and Andrew Poje. It's only their second time competing this season. We saw them at Autumn Classic, where they debuted their lovely free dance in honor of Dennis Ten. We've seen this program twice and I've ended up sobbing at the end both times. That's incredibly understandable. Yeah, it's beautiful. And honestly, both first and second place in ice dance in Canada have gorgeous free dances. Yeah, and Gillis and Poirier's free dance is dedicated to Piper's mother. So they're both a lot of sentimental value in both free dances this season. Personally, so second was Piper Gillis and Paul Poirier. I could personally talk about how much I love their free dance for hours. It's one of my favorites of the season. The music makes me cry. Okay, story time. One time I was just like driving home listening to my skating music playlist and uh, Starry Starry Night came on and I just like broke down sobbing. (laughs) That was a good time. But yeah, the costumes are gorgeous and reminiscent of the music and the theme and it just completes the program. It's just, and I love like the little like steps they do when the music picks up. I love their lifts and the music. It's just gorgeous. I'm sorry, mini rant over. (laughs) I saw them perform this at um, IDF and I swear the arena was just quiet for like a good 10 seconds after it. Just quiet. Like the music really just makes you pause and think. It's very beautiful. And honestly, you can say the same about Weaver and Poje's free. Like it's like it's literally just personal taste which one you prefer more. They're both beautiful and sentimental. And they're both at the same level technically aren't they uh they're re- roughly the same um in this case uh gills and poirier won the free dance here weaver and poirier won on the strength of their sh- rhythm dance uh but they're they were both wonderful in both their sh- rhythm dance and their free dance and this podium could have gone either way um and it's going to be really exciting to see them face off against the americans but before we get into that let's talk about our bronze medalists here Laurence Fournier-Baudry and uh, Nikolai Sorensen. So these guys are have like an interesting backstory. They originally skated for Denmark, um, but unfortunately Laurence couldn't get her Danish citizenship. So they've moved back to Canada. And this is actually the first time they've been allowed to compete this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because due to like the year limit, they couldn't compete on the Grand Prix, right? Yep. So we will be seeing them on Four Continents and Worlds, but this was their debut for the season. Mm-hmm. And even though they they recycled their free dance, right? Yes. Okay, I had not seen their free dance before, and I will say tango and flamenco are somewhat similar. So having two similar programs, like having a similar rhythm dance and free dance probably wasn't like the best move, but I still loved their free dance. I love her dress. It, her dress is gorgeous, and the moves are gorgeous. The music is, like, the great, like, a nice balance of, like, dramatic and, like, 
interesting. I will want to. I do want to say something about their rhythm dance. They have what I think is the cleanest pattern that I've seen all season. Oh really? Yes. I don't find the rhythm dance particularly interesting. Um, I'm just really tired of tangos at this point. But their <laughs> steps were so clean, um, and they they were so close together in their hold. I really, really like seeing that. So mm-hmm. it'll be exciting to see how exactly they get called on the international level. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, let's hope we get to see them on the Grand Prix next season. We definitely will. So going into our next discipline, we have the Canadian Ladies Field, which is um, another field that is suffering post-Olympics. <laughs> yeah, so in first place, we have Elaine Chartrand, and it's nice to see her and Nam rising as previous Canadian champions. However, her person, like her being first place is not really something that would happen anywhere internationally. She rose to the top because of Gabby's mistakes in the free, Gabby Daleman, but if you put Elaine anywhere in an international competition, she probably wouldn't be scoring this high. In Evie's own words, she'd have to rely on the world's most lenient tech panel. Honestly, I am in constant worry about the Canadian ladies because they don't have anybody, to be honest. Caitlin Osmond is not competing this season, and it's up in the air whether she's actually planning to return to competition. Um, and Gabby's been having a lot of mental struggles this season um for not just this season but they've been really like coming forward this season as we saw here and she's really their other like best bet of getting international medals and also getting spots at for next worlds they have three spots this season but i doubt they're going to be able to retain those spots yeah considering that second place was larkin ostman who is also put up internationally, would not make it anywhere with the scores she usually gets. Because let's remember that Larkin did not qualify for the free skate for both the Olympics and Worlds last season. So it's important to note that Canada's top three ladies and the ladies that they're sending to four continents, none of them have the scores to keep their spots. So we can only hope that like maybe they'll, if Gabby's feeling up for it, of course, only... If Gabby's feeling up for it, maybe they'll send her to Worlds and she might have a chance to save spots. So Gabby's had a tough year this year. She's been battling several mental health issues. Anyone across social media will most likely know about her ongoing battle. Um, and she did have a bad showing at the Olympics. It was probably it's probably the one free skit I won't watch from the Olympics. So she skipped the Grand Prix. and So honestly, just props to her for getting out here and competing. And similar to Gracie Gold from America... Um, she's just going to need time to get back into the swing of training and competing. Yeah, and I'm so proud of her for like being open with her journey, just like Gracie Gold. Just like a small rant on mentality and mental health in sport. Like It takes so much to be open with your mental health in sport because no one ever considers mental health and how it affects your ability to perform. So to those who do speak up, I'm very thankful. Um, I hope that whatever she decides, she... It's what is best for her. We very much support her on whatever she does. Are we ready to move on to U.S. Nats and many, many rants? (laughs) Oh, boy. U.S. Nationals was a bit more recent, so we have a bit more stuff on U.S. Nationals. And plus, we know a couple people who were there, so we have a couple live opinions, like me. (laughs) Starting with pairs. And before we begin, U.S. Nationals is unique in that they have four people on the podium and not... Three. Yeah, they have a pewter medal. Or a, bit, a potato waffle. <laughs> a what now? <laughs> okay, yeah, so it's unique. They have a pewter medal for fourth place, also affectionately called the potato medal. I don't know why it's called that, but it is. Neve called it a potato waffle. <laughs> okay, so our podium for US pairs was Ashley Kane and Timothy LaDuke, Haven Denny, and Brandon Fraser. Diana Stellato Dudek and Nathan Bartholome, and then Tara Kane and Danny O'Shea. So I was there for the Paris Free Program, and I'm really glad I got to see Ashley Kane and Timothy LaDuke do their free program. They're my favorite American pair by far now, and uh, their free was absolutely lovely to watch, and watching them nail every element was just great to see. I was so happy to watch it. I will say that I live in fear of Kane and LaDuke doing a lift ever again now just just constant fear but um it was really nice at the end of their free skate they had a little moment on the ice that was reminiscent of 
Aliona Sevchenko and Bruno Massot at the Olympics, you know, their breakdown on the ice that makes me cry. And, like, it's obviously an event that's not on the same caliber as the Olympics, but it still might have been just as important to them. Yeah, I have high hopes for Kayla Leduc as well. Um, especially, I think they're our biggest chance for U.S. pairs to get a second spot at Worlds. Uh, in order to get a second spot at Worlds, they need to finish in the top 10. And I think they are highly capable to do that. I'm just glad we're moving away from the whole Canerams are our only hope narrative that was running for a while. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of the Canerams skating. They just, they lack chemistry. Yeah. But they're married. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I am really proud of Kayla Duke. This is only their third season together. So the fact that they've been able to like grow so quickly together and they actually feel like a pairs team now. I remember watching them at their first U.S. Nationals and I really liked them at that time too, but they didn't feel like they were a pairs team and now they do. And it's so great to see that. I also really liked uh, Stilato, Dudek, and Bartholomew Skates and they were bronze. So I'm very proud of that. However, um, they got shafted by the USFSA for international assignments. They weren't assigned to four continents or worlds, right? Well, they can't be assigned to worlds. You only have one world spot. Oh, duh. (laughs) Ignore that. Yeah, so shout out to Deanna and Nate for their place finish here. They haven't had the strongest outings this season, which is why they didn't get assigned a spot at four continents. And that was instead given to Kane and O'Shea. Um, but they've definitely grown a lot this season um, as Paris Skater. And Deanna is just, I live in constant awe of her. I don't know if you, for our listeners, if you guys know a lot about her, but she was originally a single skater and she had to retire due to injury. Um, and then she came back 15 years later as a Paris Skater. And this is her third season skating pairs. Uh, so I live in on her and she's amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. And I know we're going to do a full-length episode on the John Coughlin um, case, but I just think it's important to point out that, especially in American pairs, there was a lot of um, tributes and signs for him in the Kiss and Cry, many of which were quite controversial, to say the least. It appears that Delilah Sappenfield runs half of the American pairs. And every team she had was sporting either the hats or the ribbons. And it wasn't even just Dahlia. Corey Eid had it as well. Mm-hmm. Along with her skaters like Courtney Hicks, right? Yeah, and Ben Jovalik. We'll go into a lot more detail on the John Coughlin case. On It's, it's going to have its own dedicated episode because it's what it deserves. Well, let's move on to an event that is full of discourse. The U.S. men's event. Ooh, oh, Lord. I got to see men's short program and free program, and boy, was it a time. I genuinely quit out of the stream in rage. <laughs> she did. She, like, refused to watch anything else. Like, she didn't even stay for direct for Jason's to finish Jason Brown's skate. She just was like, I'm out. <laughs> Jason popped his triple sal, and I had immediate... His quad sal, Eve. Oh, no, 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 he popped his triple sal as he well. He popped both. <laughs> Um, and I had immediate throwback trauma to Nats 2018 and just nope. <laughs> okay, so our first place, as you probably know and you probably expected, was Nathan Chen. And like, in all fairness, Nate did great here. Like, he deserved his win. Like, he went clean. He sure did land his quads and he deserved his win. Those scores, not so much. Nationals inflation is a known thing and it's and it goes for most countries. But this was just something else so some some stats here yogita here's your stats <laughs> oh my stats i love stats he scored 228.80 in the free and uh we calculated his possible max score which was 234.29 so judges really thought that he was only 5.49 points from an absolutely perfect score and while both of those were great skates and i loved watching the programs i cannot agree with five points from perfect i'm so sorry it's just like 228.8 like even with a new system i just what <laughs> and like these were possibly the best skates of his life at least for me personally they were the skates i've enjoyed of him the most like his his free skate was technically insane he like you can't deny that he's che- doing something for the sport but these scores are ridiculous even with nats inflation <laughs> also if you look at his protocols two different judges gave him perfect tens in pcs Two judges, perfect tens. So this just comes back to the rant that 
like about treating skaters as perfect or like hyping them up as you do like it hurts them in the case of nathan treating him as perfect doesn't allow him to improve he's a great skater but he like as everyone else does he has places that he can improve on and ignoring these things and instead handing out undeserved perfect scores just goes against the idea of judging judges are supposed to point out where skaters can improve and if you're not doing that you're not helping the skater you're just hindering them from improvement hyping them up like this making it seem like these blown out of proportion scores are typical just worsens it for nathan when he inevitably doesn't get these scores internationally it makes him look bad it might even make him feel bad even though Let's be real, he probably knows about how inflated national scoring is. One example of this was the Olympics. Going into the Olympics, everyone in America knew him as America's only hope, etc, etc. And he didn't perform in either shorts. And he was butchered by the media. Mm-hmm. I could rant about that forever. And I'm not even in America, and even the media over here were talking about it. So going back to our... Um, discussion on his perfect score other than one plus three goe on his change foot camel spin which got a level four um judge three gave him a perfect score including plus fives on all of his elements other than his spin that's including his step sequence i just might to point out which nathan is known for not having the best um skating skills they're not bad by any side but they're definitely not perfect and tens on all of his PCS. And just looking at the scores alone, you can see at least it looks as if they just looked at the old historical records and <laughs> tried to one-up them at all costs just to further the story of Nathan is unbeatable, which doesn't help anyone. Well, I would like to go back and take a look at his jumps because Nathan Chen at the end of the day is known as the Great Quad King. So let's talk about the GOE bullets. For jumps. There are six GOE bullets you can you have to meet in order to gain positive GOE. They are very good height and distance, good takeoff and landing, effortless throughout, steps into a jump and expected or creative entry, good body position, and element matches music. Now, in order to get more than plus three GOE, you have to hit all three of the first three bullets. <laughs> this is required. This is not an optional requirement it is required <laughs> i would just like to point out that these are the rules that the isu set themselves these are not things that figure skating fans decided were canon <laughs> these are things that are ingrained in the rules of figure skating this is not canon in figure skating <laughs> why bother setting rules if you aren't going to follow them i don't see the point now let's just go through a quick run through of nate's short program he starts with a triple axel and gets a whopping 2.29 GOE for it, which is 2.86 unfactored. Now, that is a super generous score, given that Nathan's 3A is one of his worst jump, and his 3A in his short program really only meets one criteria for me in the GOE bullets, which is very good height and distance. His landing was not very clean, which strikes that bullet for me, and also, if it doesn't have a good landing, then it's clearly not effortless throughout, so bye-bye those two bullets. <laughs> so I would only give him one. Now, if we move on to his quad flip, which Nate got 4.4 GOE, which is four points unfactored. First things off the bat, the jump does not have an edge to be found. <laughs> 404 edge not found. I watched this boat in the playback and in his program, and I didn't see an edge in either of those. It wasn't like it was outside instead of inside, it was just mostly flat. So I would have given it an edge call, but at the very least I would have given it an unclear edge call. So let's move forward assuming I have given it an unclear edge call. Um, so because there's an unclear edge, um, that incurs a GOE deduction of anywhere between minus one and minus three to the judge's discretion. And now due to that unclear edge, I would say that it was not it did not have a good takeoff and thus was not effortless throughout. So I would score that at minus one. I will give him his quad toe, triple toe, because that is a thing of beauty. Um, <laughs> but just by rescoring two of Nathan's elements in his short program, I've dropped that score by over five points. And we can go through this for his other elements, his spins, his step sequence. And we could do a similar exercise for his free skate as well. And we can, we'll see that these 
judges aren't actually following the rules that are dictated by the ISU. Classic Nat scoring. No, like, I'm not saying that only Nathan was inflated here. Like, this is Nat's. Everyone is inflated. But he was definitely inflated to a much higher degree. Not just in his PCS, as you guys discussed, but also in the grade of execution on his elements. I love Nathan. He's such a great skater. He's such a good, like, personality. It's just, he's, like... Nathan Chen needs to be rewarded for what he puts out on the ice, and when judges don't do that, they're not only making his life more difficult, they're also telling, giving a signal that, oh, your flip edge isn't correct, but we're not going to call it, so you don't need to go about and fix it. Um, so moving on from inflation and PCS inflation, um, thus we will begin our Jason Brown rant, which is rant two of this episode. We will begin? It's your Jason Brown rant. <laughs> Anyone that knows me will know that Jason Brown is possibly my favourite skater other than Yuzuru Hanyu. This has been a big season of change from Jason. He's moved to Brian Orser and Tracy Wilson up in Toronto from Corey Aid, which he had been with since he literally began skating. Corey was his only coach he's ever had. But after a tough season last season, he didn't make the Olympics, withdrew from Worlds. Um, He did have a good skate at Four Continents, but you could tell that Things. he was going to make a change you could tell that something in their dynamic had changed so with a change of a coaching team for the first time a new technique he's been surprisingly consistent this season compared to other skaters that have changed this short is amazing and I will fight anyone that says it isn't one of the best short programs of the entire figure skating field this season at least and all I want is for him to bring back the double bestie squat choreo (laughs) (laughs) but this is the first time he's hit 100 in the short anyone that knows Jason knows he doesn't have the best technical content it's been something he's been struggling with ever since he became a senior um but he does possibly have one of the most artistic capabilities in the field like not even just America just worldwide so even with Nat's inflation this short program score was only four points above his season's best which is his personal best which was 96.41 at international order france um, and considering it was an equally stellar skate to that if not better four points for nats inflation isn't much when you take that into account especially when nathan's 113 was 21 points higher than his season's best that's so many points <laughs> Which was 92.99, which, although granted he did miss his combo in the short Grand Prix final. Maybe I should have rescored all of Nathan's elements, not just his chops. (laughs) 21 points! The second half of the combo is not worth 21 points. It's worth possibly five at most. So honestly, it was criminal what they'd done to Jason's scores across this competition. Like, in comparison to Nathan, his... PCS, his step sequence and his spins were consistently put behind Nathan at this comp throughout basically every single one of his elements and considering Jason probably scores possibly one of the highest in the entire field of men's internationally on these elements and Nathan scores possibly one of the least of the top six maybe. I don't understand what America is doing. (laughs) None of us do. Nathan was going to win anyway. It didn't make a difference if he was put three points behind on PCS. He was going to win no matter what. He could have turned up and done a single axle in the middle of the ice and left and he was still going to win. (laughs) (laughs) Nathan is the better skater technically, there is no denying, but I don't see why the USFSA are trying to promote Nathan as this top skater artistically. I would like to insert the comments from Charlie White saying that ice dancers wish to have Jason Brown's skating skills during his commentary and even with charlie white's comment across the two programs nathan was given nearly an entire mark higher skating skills pcs it was something like 0.79 that's nearly an entire mark something smells like inflation to me (laughs) (laughs) and i understand of course the usfsa are going to try promote the defending world champion to insane amounts going into worlds especially when Nathan's biggest rivals are two Japanese skaters and Worlds is in Japan. It makes sense. But they can do so in a more subtle manner. 
And in regards to Jason's technical content, which is somewhat of great discussion, I guess, especially with his change to Toronto, the quad still isn't here. He popped it into a um, double sal, which is common for him. That's been a common trend, not just this season, but across all attempts at quads he does tend to pop them in the doubles and I know people were discussing whether he was debating trying for it again I can't remember who brought that up during the triple sale and maybe that's why he popped it into a single but that's not confirmed so for all we know he just lost focus or whatever however he has been landing them in practice throughout this competition more consistently than he has been at any other competition this season and he has said that what he is in training is five, six steps ahead of what he is in competition. So hopefully it's a sign of good things to come. So Vincent Joe, what can I say about Vincent that I really haven't said before? I will say I like his programs and I think they are a good fit for him. Like the under rotation issue isn't a new issue. He's had it for seasons and I wish it was something that instead of Tom Z complaining about the judges, like picking on Vincent will actually do something about it but they've been plaguing him for a while and like they're under rotated in real time his quad sal in the short was clearly under even the commentators in real time said it was under but it wasn't called for some reason um to my complete other perplexion and I think that was the wrong decision on the part of the tech callers to not call it I think it was more under rotated than this quad Lutz was yeah it's especially considering that his quads have been being called under internationally so it really is just a like you can see the nationals inflation happening his programs are nice this season his interpretation and performance aspect of his skating have definitely improved like from what he was in juniors to what he is now but um exogenesis is just such an overdone piece of music especially in team usa that you need to do something utterly incredible for it to be memorable otherwise it just kind of falls flat yeah i agree i honestly never want to see another program to that music ever again but yeah i will say i do like his programs and i especially like his free program i feel like it fits him really well and he performs it really well yeah i agree um i know some people um it reminds them of boyong's show program from last season but i think that the cut that uh vincent is using is doesn't have that many throwbacks to it and is honestly fits him really well it's just those quads just get just just those quads okay so moving on to fourth place tomoki i love tomoki so tomoki iwatashi is our pewter medal winner and i'm so excited for him to be on the podium even though it's fourth his programs are great even though one is to michael Pouple. <laughs> may he rise as the inheritor of jason's russian splits because in his free program he does an ina bauer into a Russian split, into a triple sal. Like, he, and he did it well. What kind of transition monster is he? Transitions in the US men's economy? <laughs> More likely than you think. <laughs> so yeah, he killed his programs here. He was absolutely lovely to see. I love his programs. And I'm so glad he got assigned to Four Continents. I'm so excited for him. I saw him live at Grand Prix Final, and he was great. And I've been a fan of him since last season, so I'm so happy that to see him rise and uh, just grow into um, a better skater like he's definitely working a lot on his technical aspects um, and but he also has really strong performance skills and has really strong basic skills so hopefully he'll be able to keep that balance as he moves into the senior ranks and judge three given to Moke 180.93 in the free is a solid mood that's literally 10 points higher than the actual score he was rewarded i am judge three <laughs> But speaking of our other American junior men. Oh my god. So yeah, we have the two that I want to talk about are Camden Polkinen and Andrew Torgashev. They are both just absolutely beautiful skaters with great skating skills. And they have the artistry that I personally prefer in men and that a lot of the American men lack. So yeah, I enjoyed watching every bit of their skates and I just wish they could both do better on their jumps. I especially love Camden skating. And Torgachev has his insane edge quality. And I just really hope Camden can get redemption for his free program, which he hasn't performed well at here or Junior Grand Prix Final. And also, Torgachev's Moulin Rouge is a uh, fire. <laughs> yeah, I really hope they get chosen to go to Junior World Championships. Um, the USA is going to be holding a camp um, with six junior men to decide who gets to go. So I very much hope that at the very least Camden gets to go because he so much deserves it. 
Um, and hopefully Andrew will also get chosen um, and Tomoki. But honestly, who knows what'll happen? U.S. has a lot of good junior men, honestly. Like historically, the U.S. junior men field has been really strong. It's just that U.S. men tend to focus a lot on the artistry and not the technical like the Nathan Chen phenomenon is a new thing to the U.S. men's like typically U.S. men have been more like Jason Brown and not like Nathan Chen. I would like to give a, sm- a shout out to my tragic Russian son Alexei Krasnishov who actually skated well here after some really bad outings this season. Um, it's see- good to see that he's actually been taking his recovery from his injury one step at a time. Um, and he didn't try a quad here, which honestly was for the best because I do not need throwbacks to Junior World Championships. Moving on to Ice Dance, American Ice Dance. Like, it's like our strongest field. U.S. Ice Dance is the strongest Ice Dance field in the world. Like, there is no other country. Um, I guess Russia probably comes close, but the U.S. and Russian Ice Dance fields are the, the best in the world. Um, and here to... No one's surprised how Blunt Donahue won gold, but I, I'm, I hear you, you guys have opinions about whether or not they should. My opinion is that Chalk and Bates should have won. That's my strong opinion, and I will defend that when we talk about them. Well, Hubble and Donahue um, in their rhythm dance, um, Madison actually messed up her second set of Twizzles. I am a ship stand, so I am a Twizzle supremacist. <laughs> and so she wobbled on the second set if you paid attention to her feet. Um, but they got higher GOE on their Twizzles than Chalk and Bates did, who I think um, had a much cleaner set of Twizzles. Now, I will say that as much as an expert on the GOE bullets that I am, the Ice Dance GOE bullets are much more complicated, um, and there are more of them. And I would argue that some of them are a bit more subjective as well, but I would still put Chalk and Bates ahead on their Twizzles over Hubble and Donahue. Now, onto their pattern in their rim dance. So the tech panel at US Dance didn't even need to be there, apparently, because <laughs> who were paying any attention to patterns? Not me, not them. So Hubble and Donahue and Chalk and Bates both received perfect scores on their Tango Romantica, but Hubble and Donahue didn't really deserve them. Um, so their rockers were very flat in the first section, so I honestly would have only given them two of the, fir- the four key points there. And in the second half, Madison's three turn uh after the cross leg in the first uh, key point is a bit flat, and her outside edge in the second key point was also flat, so I would have also only given them two of the four key points there as well. So I would have actually put Chalk and Bates as the leaders after the rhythm dance. So if we look at Chalk and Bates, Tango Romantica instead, um, they also, as I said, received all the key points for their pattern, which actually was much more reasonable. I uh, honestly would have only taken away um, one of their key points, uh, which in the first half, Evan was a little flat on the second key point, um, but everything else we're pretty good at. Um, so I would have honestly have given them the win, but honestly, I've never been more excited for Chalk and Bates than I am this season. Like, for people who know me, I was never the biggest fan of Chalk and Bates, and I honestly was never really into their programs before, but I think... I have one, I like both their rhythm and their, their free dance this season, which is more than I can say about any other ice dance team, because I like very few da- programs this season in the field of ice dance, but I love both of their programs. I think their move to Montreal was actually a good idea, and it's working really well in their favor, because they've gotten some like really cool programs out of it, and they haven't lost their really great creative lifts. I love their lifts. Their curve lift in the uh, free dance. To die for. Exactly. And obviously, like, this shouldn't decide who wins, like, concretely. But the crowd was much more into Chuck and Bates' program than Hubble and Donahue's Romeo and Juliet. I'm sorry, but I do not like that program. I think it's boring. Honestly, if I hear another Romeo and Juliet in skating, I, I will quit. <laughs> I, I just keep expecting disco and I never get disco and I'm just disappointed. Tell me about it. I keep expecting the choreographed fall. <laughs> choreographed fall or disco? Which one do you expect? <laughs> Both. But yeah, so I was much more of a fan of Chalk and Bates program and like they made me like fever. <laughs> Which, like, my only other fever that I approve of is Yana's. So this is uh, this is Chalk and Bates' second outing this season because Madison's been recovering from surgery. I think that for a second outing, this was, like, 
spectacular mm-hmm. for them. They've like improved so much over the past few months compared to like their past season. And honestly, this is the most fun I've seen them have on the ice before. Um, and I definitely think that they've worked really hard on like actually putting out a performance and building the characters in that free free dance that it's just so much fun and honestly um as you said car about the audience being more into uh chalk and baits over hubble and donahue i think that very much plays into the performance and interpretation scores in your in the program components but hubble and donahue still got higher in both of those components over chalk and baits whereas i think that those are the most subjective of the of the components and I think the judges should be paying attention to how audience reacts to when they are scoring those components because Talking Bates was clearly the audience favorite of the night. Mm-hmm. I agree. So in third place, we had Caitlin Hawaiik and Jean-Luc Baker. And um, these are probably another crowd favorite, I think. And although their program isn't the most emotionally hitting, um, I personally do love the program, but I have to admit it pales in comparison to Kevin Amos's from France's program to the same music. I think maybe if they had just skated to In This Shirt by The Irresistibles instead of adding the other song in the beginning, it might have hit harder, maybe. Um, but there is a part of the program which is beautiful. It's, it is simple. It's just them doing a spread eagle into a Nina bar. But it gives me shivers every time I watch it just because of how perfectly on time with the music it is. And I could probably watch John Luke Baker skate around a rink doing absolutely nothing special for an entire hour and still give him plus 10 GOE. (laughs) (laughs) His edges are just, he's like an, he's amazing skater. He is such a great like ice dancer. I just enjoy watching him. And he is a small, powerful man. (laughs) That he he is. is tiny. He's small. How does he do this? Special shout out to Manta and Johnson. I just loved their free dance and it was life changing. <laughs> they're, they're they're such a great team. Like I've watched them grow over the past few seasons and like they're not the strongest technically. They don't have the strongest skating skills. They don't move as fast across the ice as the other teams and their their elements aren't as complicated or as difficult, but they do them so well and they're like not afraid to like do something and make themselves crowd favorites. Like their free dance is is not the most technical, it's not the most difficult, but it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. They were definitely a crowd favorite and I was very glad for that so just just shout out to them okay so for continents is this week and we're going to finally see the U.S. ice dancers against the Canadian ice dancers we're gonna have our top three from the U.S. Nats and our top our, our podium from Canadian Nats finally face off and see who's of the six like who will podium we know they're gonna be the top six overall like there's no other ice dance team that's going to break that top six rank among the other competitors here but it's going to be so interesting if i really think chalk bates made such a strong argument um here at u.s nationals that they can potentially beat hubble and donahue so i don't know if hubble and donahue winning this is guaranteed anymore um, and we have Weaver and Poje and uh, um, Gills and Poire who are so strong as well um, that they might also, they're definitely going to be strong contenders for podium being here as well. I don't know how the judges are going to score Fournier, Beaudry, and Sorensen on the international level as they have, but they're definitely going to get that Canadian back in now. So I expect them to get. Um, higher results than they did previously on their skate when they were skating for Denmark. So who is going to podium for ice dance at Four Continents? I honestly cannot predict that whatsoever right now. It is one of the most difficult things you could ask me to do. I could tell you who's probably going to podium for ladies. He's probably going to podium for men. He's probably going to podium for pairs. But honestly, ice dance, there are, uh, there are six strong contenders who have... S- who have capability to make an argument for that podiums. I'm really excited for Ice Dance with Four Continents. Yeah, I really think it's I think it's interesting how like we have the US teams versus the Canadian teams, but even within that we have like Hubble and Donahue versus Shock and Bates who scored very similarly at nationals. And then we have Gillies Poire and 
uh weaver poje who like went up against each other in their nationals so like we have the teams versus each other and then it's like a it's like a tourney yeah it's gonna be so fun sure whatever you say (laughs) i think four continents just across the field especially with the men at least it's just it's going to be a good competition or at least i hope it's not a cursed competition i always have faith in four continents being a great competition Moving on to our final event from U.S. Nationals, ladies, we have our champion, 13-year-old Alyssa Liu. She's adorable, and I want to protect her, and she needs it. But in my honest opinion, she shouldn't really be here. She's only 13. She wasn't even Junior Grand Prix eligible this season, and she competed at Senior Nationals. I just I just don't. And I, I think this of Stephen Gogolev at Canadian Nationals, too. And not to mention the pressure that winning this event and having the tech content that she does puts on her so like as soon as the u.s sees a girl that they that could even have the smallest possibility of meddling internationally they focus in on her and put all the pressure on the in the world on her even if it's a 13 year old and that's just not healthy well she's had this isn't a new thing she's been in the media focus since last season yeah oh yeah that's true because she won junior nationals at 12 and people kept we're hailing her already as the future of U.S. ladies at 12 years old. And she's just continued to gain momentum in the media this season due to she, she was competing in the senior level and other national events as well with a tri- with her triple axel and also attempting a quad lutz. So like MEC is out here um, claiming her to be the next big thing in the U.S. ladies. But she's only 13 years old. She honestly shouldn't be training a triple axel or quads and they're just putting her in the spotlight right now as well like she's since appeared on a bunch of morning shows and late night shows in the u.s which means that she's not just a name for people who watch figure skating but for the general audience and that's just putting even more pressure on this young girl yeah it's just the u.s and their pressure for their that they put on their single skaters needs to chill out it's just not healthy and especially there's been talk i can't remember the source but i think her dad has literally said she's been struggling with hip injuries yeah she's 13 please can we protect the health and safety of a child over your narrative of america being great yeah and there's already pressure on her for the beijing olympics and she'll only be 16 and like it's doable it's definitely doable Elena Zikitova won in Pyeongchang at 15 but that's a lot of pressure for a child to live up to for the next four years and every time she doesn't have a clean skate or has a bad competition it's going to be the but you have the Olympics yeah Beijing is four years away you shouldn't be claiming somebody as the future winner of the Olympics when there's so much that's going to happen over the next few years we see this, like, we see what's happened to Alina Zagitova this season, her jumps. And honestly, I I just want Alyssa Liu to survive the next four years, let alone attempt to win Beijing. Well, speaking of other ladies that have not fared well under U.S. media attention, Brady Tanel. I feel like the U.S. did to Brady what they're doing to Alyssa right now, although it's, it is different since Brady's 21, although pressure is still not healthy. But they did the same thing. They hailed her as the future of U.S. ladies figure skating, their newest chance to medal internationally. And Brady just hasn't lived up to their insanely high standards. They, they started calling her out as this so-called queen of consistency, despite the fact she had only skated at Skate America and U.S. Natsas when they started calling her this. And now they're retreating from that because she isn't the queen of consistency. No one is the queen of consistency. Holding a skater to such inhuman standards and then dropping them the second they don't live up to those expectations. Like, and NBC wonders why the ladies' field is dying. Like, like honestly, I could name some of the top skaters in the world and none of them are consistent. Moving on to third place in the ladies, uh, the winner of the bronze medal, Mariah Bell. Uh, in my personal opinion, Mariah deserved silver. No one's going to disagree with you on that. <laughs> uh, if I was just on a performance level, I would place Mariah above Brady. And honestly, like if Mariah had been perfectly clean, which she wasn't in the short or the free 
she would have gotten her silver. But even without them, I still think, even, like, with those mistakes that she made, I still think she deserves silver. Because mm, Brady wasn't clean either, so it's not as if it's a debate of, oh, but Brady was clean, because she wasn't. Mm-hmm, you're right. Yeah, at the end, it comes down to those program components, and Brady beat out Mariah in those components in both the short and the free. Uh, one, one day, Mariah will figure out her rotations, and, and then the U.S. Fed will know. They will know. Then they'll know. 2020 US champ Jason Brown and Mariah Bell. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Moving on to what was probably the highlight of the ladies' event to me, Hannah Harrell. I have never seen her skate before. Her jumps are ginormous. She just came out there and like I, she jumped and I literally just watched with utter shock on my face. Like she's probably the best jumper of the U.S. ladies right now. She like she has a hammer toe on her toe jumps, but like even so, like she rotates so quickly. She gets such height and distance. Like she checks off those JLE bullets like crazy for me. I'm very excited for Tane to go to uh, four continents. She's such a solid skater. She just lacks inconsistency, which a lot of people do, as we've mentioned. But to watch her nail her free skate was just amazing. I'm so proud of Ting. If, like, last season, Ting was such a technically driven skater, like, I would watch her and just be, wow, you have jumps, but I don't get any feeling from your skating. She was very much the lack a lot of that performance ability. And she really has worked hard to get that into her skating and that free skate was magical yeah so i'm very excited for her to go to four continents how much do i have to pay for star andrews to have another moment like she had last nats okay mood <laughs> like same her free skate at last year's nats remains one of my favorite moments of figure skating i've ever watched and every time she has a bad competition it physically breaks my heart i feel that i love star and it makes me so sad that she doesn't get to train as much because of funding. Ah, at the end of the day, it's always down to the funding. And every move on the ice was as sharp as the last one. So our first shout out of the week is to FedEx for managing to get Jason Brown's costumes to Detroit in time. Um, Jason is apparently taking over from Javier Fernandez for being the chaotic mess of TCC. <laughs> and <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> no. <laughs> and um, realised on Tuesday that his costumes were still in Croatia, which, in case any of you are confused on geography, is the other side of Europe. And if you're confused on when events are, he was last in Croatia during Grand Prix final. <laughs> Quite some time ago. How do you not realise your costumes are in Croatia? I guess he just didn't have a need to try them on. <laughs> like for over a month he just didn't. Near, nearly two months. Croatia was the beginning of December. God, Jason, what are you doing? He needs to learn from Nathan and have 30 Farrowang costumes at his fingertips. <laughs> God, don't even get me started on 30 Farrowang costumes. I saw that on Twitter and someone was like, why well, couldn't Nathan just give Jason a costume? Um, but just for timing, for context, Jason realised and rang his mum in panic on Tuesday. The men's short was on Saturday. His costumes had to be shipped to Paris, then shipped to Detroit, and then his parents had to drive five hours from Chicago to Detroit <laughs> airport to pick his costumes up 25 minutes before the men's short program started. Oh God. my God. How did he do that? Thank you guys for listening. We hope to see you again for our next episode, which will be about Four Continents Championships. If you want to get in touch with us, then please feel free to contact us via our website at inthelowpodcast.com or on Twitter, Facebook, or Tumblr with the same username. You can find our episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you enjoy the show and want to help support the team, then please consider making a donation to us on our coffee page. And we'd like to give a huge thank you to all the listeners who have contributed to our team thus far. You can find all the links to all our social media pages and to our coffee on our website. If you're listening on iTunes, please consider leaving a rating and a review if you enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. This has been Nave, Yogita, and Carly. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye.